you saw me searching for something, I think you've all had that experience because this morning's message is entitled, Did You Forget? How often have we gone to the store or gone to the workplace or just left the house on a trip? And you're like, wait a second, wait a second, I'm missing something. Maybe you've been sent to the store, hypothetical situation, by your spouse to pick up one thing. And as a diligent, loving spouse that you are, you pick up so many things, you might have just forgot the one thing that you were supposed to go to the store for. But again, that's hypothetical. Uh, that's not... Okay, it's very realistic, and I've done that many a times. Uh, have you ever forgotten something out of the house? Have you ever forgotten, or maybe you've, you've given your kids a task? Don't forget blank, right? And you go, and you go somewhere, and it was like, are you kidding me? Right? We've had these moments. They even make songs about that. I think about the 80s song, right? Don't you forget about me. Don't, don't. Okay, some of you are ready to sing. I know my father-in-law was, because that's his go-to karaoke karaoke song, just fun fact. Everyone needs, not part of the sermon, but everyone needs a go-to karaoke song. Okay, you just got to be ready. For me, I want it that way. Backstreet Boys, I'm ready to go. A drop of a hat after church service, you want to go. I'm ready to jump up and sing. Okay, so here's the thing. I was thinking about that song. One, it's my father-in-law's favorite. Two, don't you forget about me. And you know what I forgot? I forgot who it's by. Can you know it? Can you name the artist? Simple Minds. Simple Minds. I did the one thing they asked me not to do. I forgot who they were. They were like, don't you forget about... I totally forgot about them. My bad. My bad. I forgot about them. Well, what have you forgotten in your life? What is it in your life that you meant to bring with you and take with you and you get to where you're supposed to go and you just forget? So we're going to talk about that today, and we're going to talk about how that's such a human thing to do. That in reality, when we forget, we tend to forget the good stuff. But that negative comment, oh, negativity and negative comments have a long shelf life, don't they? Compliments, good things, often have the shelf life of like a fresh piece of fruit. I think about being in Hawaii and, and getting this fresh pineapple from the island and taking a bite. Oh, it's so good. But fresh fruit has an expiration date on it, right? Versus you take a negative comment or a thought, something someone said to you, it's got a shelf life of like a McDonald's fry, right? If you take a McDonald's fry, you set it on the counter, you come back a year later, it's going to look exactly the same, right? So why is it that we forget the good things in life and we hang on to negativity? We hang on to anxiety. You never have to tell yourself when you wake up in the morning, oh, now don't forget to worry about that today. Don't forget to feel stressed out and overwhelmed. Like that just comes naturally, right? Don't forget the one negative comment you heard 10 years ago that's still ringing in your ears. But we do that. So why? Well, today we're going to talk about what happens when we forget. And how can we respond? And I'm really excited to share this passage. And the reason is, is that today might be one of the greatest passages centered around the humanity of the disciples. We think of the disciples as these great men of God, and they are. 
You think of it on a pedestal or on a Mount Rushmore of like, wow, these are saints and this is incredible. But there are moments in Scripture that remind us that they are just as human as you and me. And I love that. I get a little too excited for that because I think, oh man, they're so incredible and I'm not. But today we're going to read a passage where they're not. And that's okay. You see, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. That forgetting the goodness of God, thankfully doesn't stop the goodness of God. Forgetting the goodness of God doesn't stop the goodness of God. We're going to be walking through Mark chapter 8 today. We're going through our series as we discuss the most talked about figure in history, Jesus. Through our study of the least talked about gospel account in scripture, the gospel of Mark. And so far we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And today we're going to see an intimate interaction Jesus has with his disciples where somehow they forgot. Like, if you think it's bad to forget the sermon or the message or what God told you in a devotional later in the week, imagine being with Jesus and forgetting in front of Jesus. See, here's what happens. Let me set the stage for it. So Jesus feeds the 5,000, which we talked about how that's really even more like eighteen to 20,000 people. And then he walks in the water and he's doing all these miracles. If you're newer to church, you might not have known that Jesus then feeds 4,000. So he does another miracle. Like he could have lived off that one-hit wonder. That's a pretty cool miracle to multiply bread and fish and feed all those multitudes of people. But he does it again. This time he feeds 4,000. And he uses the seven loaves of the bread of the disciples and a few fish. And then gives them seven baskets of leftovers. Now some have said that the baskets represent the completeness of God as the number of seven represents that. Others have written that potentially the baskets were larger and so it takes two people to lift them. So if you picture 12 disciples and seven baskets, it would require 14 people to lift those. And so it's like you got baskets for all the disciples and more. And I don't know the size, I don't know the size of the baskets. I don't know if it had that symbolic meaning. But what I do know is that there are seven baskets of leftovers. And that Jesus fed all these people again and had enough for his servants again. And so they go, they get in the boat, they go to another spot. The Pharisees challenge Jesus and they say, give us a sign. He's like, really? Really? You want a sign after all of this? He's like, you're not going to get it. You're a crooked generation. You're not going to get it. He tells his disciples, come on, let's get in the boat, let's go. And he gets in the boat now, again, remember, he's healed people, blind people can see, lame people can walk, walks on water, feeds the 5,000, then feeds the 4,000. They got baskets of leftovers. I don't know if it was hours or days or what, but you're within this week time frame, right? You're within this little period. And so he says, come on, let's go. Let's get back in the boat. And then I'm telling you, if you get this verse 14, it's going to give you a little bit of a smirk or you're going to feel so connected because... Man, did the disciples mess up here. <laughs> you ready for it? Here, let's read this verse, verse 14. And now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. They forgot the bread. Jesus miraculously provides for thousands upon thousands upon thousands and gives enough baskets of leftovers for the disciples to do it. And he says, all right, let's get on the boat. And they left it on the shore. 
You got one job, right? And they left it, and now they're stressed. I, they don't say who left it. My guess, Peter, just throwing that out there. But they can't get past it. They're like, oh, no. Did you leave it? No, you, you were supposed to grab it. What are you doing? Well, you were supposed to grab it, right? Now, Jesus, having just challenged the Pharisees, is going to begin to try to teach them something. Notice here the next verse, verse 15. And he cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So leaven oftentimes represented sin. And so when it goes into the dough and, and expands and goes within that, and that's why oftentimes Jewish culture had unleavened bread for things like communion and Passover and things like that. And so he's trying to teach them, watch out for the Pharisees, don't be like this. And then the disciples just can't get it. Like they are, their mind is elsewhere, right? If you've been in a classroom and your mind is just gone, or you're giving orders to a kid, it's just gone, right? They can't move on. And so they're sitting there in the boat with the guy who's done miracle after miracle after miracle. Jesus is turning, having this intimate Bible study. Can you imagine going to Bible study with Jesus? Like a 12 in a boat, just you and Jesus, savior of the world, right? And they're worried about snacks. The teacher, the greatest teacher of all time, is having a moment. Verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they have no bread. Jesus, in the Greek, goes, seriously? Okay, he doesn't say this, but it says verse 17. Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Have your eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? I just picture them responding with their head down. Twelve. And the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? See, here's the thing, is those, those stories, those miracles, were actually much more than just physical provision. See, in the other gospel accounts, we hear the words that he said in the sermons he preached. Mark's gospel tends to show you the actions of the story and then moves on. But the other accounts telling the same story, we have Jesus then preaching a message. And in John chapter 6, verse 33, it says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to them, sir, give us this bread, always. So they still don't get it. They're like, there is bread that will save your soul. He's like, well, I want that. <laughs> give me the premium bread, you know? I didn't know there's different levels of bread here, right? I mean, there's like red lobster biscuits, right? There's like longhorn, right? There's olive garden breadsticks with Alfredo just saying, get the boat, it's bottomless. And then you go through, not that I love bread or obsessed with it, but you go through, it's like, wait a second, there's better bread? What you, come on, Jesus, what do you got? It's like, no, you're missing it. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He says, do you not get it? I'm healing all these people. Lame walk, blind see. Feeding thousands. To make the claim to you that I am the bread. 
How can you be in the boat and say you have no bread? You have me. I am the bread. I provided all those things. I brought it all. You can't even bring it on the boat. And you forget. Do you not get it? I've done all these miracles in a physical reality to show you in a spiritual reality that I can save your soul. I am the bread that your soul needs. I am the one that you need. Why are you forgetting? Because here's the reality. Forgetting the goodness of God thankfully doesn't stop the goodness of God. But it does impair our experience of his goodness. God is good whether you want to trust him or not. But it does impact your walk. Imagine going to a theme park. You enter the gates. You have to use the restroom real quick. If you've ever had to use the restroom at a theme park, right inside the gate, it's disgusting. All those thousands of people, right? You walk in, it smells. It doesn't matter how nice Disneyland, Six Flags, wherever you want to go, it stank. Right? Now, what would happen if you never left there? You just stayed in the restroom. One, that'd be weird. But two, imagine going home, like, hey, how was your day? How was the theme park? <sighs> it kind of smelled. It's kind of dark. It's kind of gross. The park was there. All those things were there. All the rides, all the awesomeness and adventure and everything there. But you missed it. A more real example. Now, let me preface this one. Coronavirus pandemic, very serious. Clarifying that, okay? On the other side, though, let me just say, if you've ever been on a cruise, post-coronavirus cruise, awesome. <laughs> Here's why. I got on the boat, and they only had the boat at 25% capacity. So we had the entire boat to ourselves is how it felt like. We had multiple workers per person. The workers outnumbered the passengers. You got to eat what you want, go where you want. It was awesome. I was loving my life until I made a little big mistake. And I asked for some cough medicine. And they, they threw me on lockdown. They were like, code red, code red, like, like all this stuff. I'm like, whoa, 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 you just said, ask it. You were so friendly. You just asked. And the lady's like, you need to go to your room right now. We're sending people, all this stuff. Like, it was intense. And going, whoa, 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 okay, I guess I'll go. And then, no joke, the lady goes, security, stand down. Like, I was being treated like a combative passenger. They were ready to lock me up and go in. And so they had me in, in lockdown until I got clear of all the tests and everything. And so I eventually cleared all the tests and went down. And I'm glad they took things serious. And, and I was cleared out. And I got to enjoy the rest of the trip. Now, what if my entire boat experience was that lockdown experience? Right? No windows. Just isolated. Don't get to enjoy the food. Don't get to enjoy the sights. Don't, don't get to enjoy the sounds. Technically on the boat, but I'm not experiencing the things that everyone else is experiencing. There are some people that claim Jesus as Lord and Savior. They claim him, they, they think back to a belief they had when they are younger or whatnot, but they forget what they have access to. They have the maker of all things the one who provides of all bread, and then he himself is our bread, and yet we're hungry. We are surrounded by spiritual blessing and food and access, and yet we find ourselves starving. 
because we forget to eat. We forget to look around. We forget the goodness of the God who has provided for us time and time again. You know, I was reminded of this because I'm not really an anxious person. Loud, obnoxious, sarcastic, yes. Anxious, not typically. But lately, I've just been feeling the last two weeks here just a little bit of the weight of everything, of life, family, church, plant. Like, you just start feeling the pressures. And I, and I wasn't identifying what was going on. It wasn't like I, don't, I didn't have this big acting out experience, but I started eating a little more, started scrolling a little more, mind started racing a little more. Started doing things that are normally relaxing to me, but then not settling down. Have you had that? And finally, this this week, I realized I was experiencing some anxiety. And as I'm thinking, and as I'm preparing, it's almost like this thought: like John, when has God not provided for you? And I started listening through all the different phases of this church plant and in my life, and in my family, and my kids' lives, and growing up. I'm like, oh yeah, God, you are good. And it's the same God now, and I forget. I mean, how crazy is it that the disciples, in a Bible study with Jesus in his boat, right after the feeding of the thousands, forgetting the bread, he says, why are you focused on no bread? I am the bread, I'm with you. And I had that moment. See, chapter 8 in Mark is really a hinge chapter. Because the way the gospel is written, chapters 1 through 8, really is the identity of Jesus. We call that the crown. He's the king of kings. He has the power to heal. He spoke in storms, wind and waves, obeyed him. He touched. And the deaf could hear, the mute could speak. He did miracles in crowds. He did miracles one-on-one. He did it in boats. He did it on the shore. He did it in city marketplaces. He did it in the countryside. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle to show who he was. But when the disciples start to miss it, it changes tone here at the end of chapter 8. And it moves from the identity of Jesus to the mission of Jesus of why he came, which is for the cross. And see, here's the reality. Not only do we forget the goodness of God, we forget his sacrifice. And so if you're taking notes, you can write this down, that that the road to redemption is paved with sacrifice. The reason the tone of Jesus gets a little more serious here after the reality of this bread situation is, is I don't want you to miss this because you need to know why I came why I can do these things, why I do these things, and even the greater thing that is to come, I do not want you, you've missed the bread, but I don't want you to miss life, and I don't want you to miss this here. And so same chapter, verse 27 here, and he he reads, he says, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say, Elijah. And others say, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. The word Christ is a title meaning Messiah. So it's not the name. It's not like Jesus Christ and then you got James Christ. 
right, the brother. It's, it's, it's Jesus the Messiah. And that's important to know because he says he strictly charged them not to tell anyone. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. But then the very next verse, verse 31, he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and to be killed. And after three days would rise again. He's saying, guys, it's about to get real. It's about to get serious. He says, you need to take up your cross and follow me. In chapter 9, they have this incredible experience called the transfiguration. Then he predicts his death again in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. It says, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. So the second prediction. And in chapter 10, he says it again. In verse 33 and 34, he says, saying, See that we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. So three times to his disciples after this whole bread incident, he predicts his death, and there's four common things that he says all three times. He says he's going to die. He says it's going to be intentional. He says it's not going to be suicide. It's going to be murder. He's going to be killed. But then he says he will rise again. And again, the disciples aren't ready to hear it. They miss the bread again. But when he does rise again, they think back on this. They say, wait a second. He told us this. He told us this, that this was going to come. And the reason that we can remember the goodness of God is because of the sacrifice of God. Because how far will he go? How much does something cost? If you have something valuable in your house, maybe it's a piece of technology, maybe it's a piece of art or a lamp or a vase or a musical instrument, or maybe you have a nice car or something and, and you got your kids and they start playing around with it. You're, whoa, 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 wait a second. Careful, that's valuable. See, value is oftentimes described on, or based upon what someone will pay for it. And so when you think, how valuable are you to God? Well, what, how far is God willing to go? And how much did it cost him to save you? It cost him everything. It cost him his son. The reason he can say, I'm provider, I am good, I am loving, is because I will give it all for you. And so if you're struggling, I don't, I don't know what your battle is. I don't, I don't know what you're walking into on Monday. I don't know if it's a sinful addiction. I don't know if it's anxiety. I don't know if it's overwhelm. Maybe it's a stressful situation. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's, it's a ripple effect of something that was said or done to you years ago. All I know is that if you're walking through life with something, it's because you're human. I didn't actually say this first service, so a little bonus thing for you guys here, but it pops in before. Think about something for a moment, okay? We don't actually need God because we're sinners. Well, wait a second, John. We do. Yes, we do. 
But sin actually came into play in Genesis 3. And you know what Jesus did with Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 1 and 2? He walked with them. That means that you don't need God because you're a sinner. You need God because you're human. That the, the deepest craving of your soul can only be met by God, and then sin has separated you, has made you forget, has pulled you away. And it's so easy to focus on the problem in front of you. This message is like receiving bread right now. And anything good is from God, anything weird is from me, my apologies. But whatever you're taking out, okay, how easy is it to forget? You might forget on the car ride home, right? You might forget on Monday, you might forget on Tuesday, I don't know, but we forget because that's human. The most common command found in scripture, number one is to fear not, but number two is to remember why, because God is good. And that goodness cost him everything. And so as you walk into this week, I invite you to do three things. Number one, remember the goodness of God. Think back to a time where God spoke to you, when God provided for you. A time where God comforted you, gave you courage, gave you peace, answered your prayer. Maybe it was through someone else. Maybe it was in a time of devotion. Maybe it was on a walk. Maybe it was that moment, that, that light bulb moment. I don't know. But think back to when you experienced that. And if you're sitting here like, John, it's been a long time since I've experienced that goodness. The good news is we have his word. And we have story upon story upon story of where God provided miracles for people in need. And it's not based on gender. It's not based on race. It's not based on how much religious activity you take part in, it's based on his grace, his mercy, his goodness, his love, and why? Because he gave everything for you. If you can walk through life tomorrow with a, with a stance of gratitude for all that God has done and who God is, that'll help you understand that whatever storm you're facing, you got Jesus in your boat. Whatever your soul is craving, he provides the sustenance and you have the bread of life available to you. So number one, you gotta remember his goodness, but number two, you gotta remember his sacrifice. He loved you so much that he gave up everything. 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become righteous. And then he turned around to those disciples and says, look, I'm giving you everything because I'm asking for everything. Take up your cross and follow me. It's not easy, but it's worth it. You're not perfect, but I am. You're thirsty, I give you living water. You're hungry, I give you the bread of life. You're dead in your sin, but I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am what you need. And I know you forgot. 
but I didn't. God has not forgotten. And so if you remember his goodness, you remember his sacrifice, that leads you to the last thing that you can do, which is that to then trust and obey. As you head into this week, I want to give you a collective sigh, a breath to trust that God is in control. And that if God has asked you to do something, that you can walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called and you can take that step of obedience. You can walk by faith, not by sight, because you know that God is good and you know that God has sacrificed and that is enough. Whatever you're walking through, whatever you're wrestling with this week, remember He is good. Remember that He is God. And remember that he gave it all for you and for me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I think about the disciples and how stressed they were. Jesus fed the thousands and they couldn't even bring it on the boat. <laughs> but what he was really saying to them is that they do not have to fear, they do not have to worry because he was the bread and that he would predict his death, burial, and resurrection to show to them that he is Savior. He is God. And he is enough. So may we remember in all the ways you provided in the past, may we remember your sacrifice 2,000 years ago, that you rose again, and that if you defeated death itself, Whatever I'm stressed about, whatever I'm worried about, I can give to you. I can trust you with. And God, may I walk in what you have called me to do and who you've called me to be. May we walk with trust and obedience today. Thank you for being good. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.